Hey, this is Heath Paget. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 202. The RV Entrepreneur is a podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and today's episode is actually one of the presentations from our RV Entrepreneur Summit. I talked about this on the last episode, if you haven't listened to it, how we had to cancel the in-person version of our RV Entrepreneur Summit, switch to a virtual one. And if you haven't listened to the episode, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. But this is our very first talk that uh, somebody gave at our conference this year. Her name is Kathy Holcomb. You may have heard her on the podcast before. She has been a guest a couple times. Kathy's backstory is really interesting. Her and her husband, Peter, they ran a in-person photography studio in Colorado. Then they basically sold that and their house and they hit the road six years ago with their daughter, Abby, who has now become a world-class, literally, she's ranked fourth in the world, kayaker. And they've lived this incredibly adventurous life over the past six years. And when I think about what this podcast really epitomizes, it's really the Holcomb family. It's people who have done this really amazing job of integrating what they're most passionate about, not only in their personal life, but in their work, photography and kayaking. They literally spend over 300 days a year out on the water. In this episode, Kathy really dives into how do you create a business and take action during uncertain times? The Holcomb started one of their very first businesses during the recession and ultimately had to figure out how to put all the pieces together during a moment when nobody really knew what was going to happen. And in a lot of ways, it kind of feels similar this year, although it's a totally different scenario with the pandemic. Kathy really shares how do you figure out what is the right action to take? Is it the right moment to go all in? Is it better to be conservative? And really just shares her story and key learnings from having started multiple businesses during uncertain times. If you're somebody who's been trying to figure out how am I going to continue pushing forward without knowing what is going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year, then I really think you will enjoy this episode with Kathy Holcomb. Let's get into it. So when Heath and Alyssa asked me to come and speak to you all and share some of our experiences running a business through all kinds of times of uncertainty, the first thing that came to mind was talking about the power of going all in, of giving what you're focused on everything that you have. And when I tried to pinpoint what that looked like in a business, it's, it's always variable and it's always changing. But the one thing that has been constant throughout our lives is our spirit of adventure and how we've spent our off time from our business. And so today I'm going to intermingle some of our experiences as business owners, our experiences in adventure, and pull that all together in some strategies to help you face uncertain times and what to do and how to proceed. And, and hopefully I'll give you a little bit of inspiration and some tools to use to move forward. So I think all of us are here because we want to live this unconventional life, this amazing, wonderful adventure on the road. And in order to do that full-time, most of us have to make a living in the process. And so as I look at this crazy time of uncertainty and as I talk to people around us right now, full-timers that have been doing this for a long time, and we ask everyone, what are you doing? Where are you going to go? What's going to happen? The, the one uniform answer is, you know, we really don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, and we're just going to kind of play it by ear, sit back, take it all in, and see what happens. 
And the same is true for us. So right now we are recalibrating. We have been um, through phase one of a world tour. We were planning to head to South America in the fall, and everything's just a little uncertain right now. And there's a barrage of doom and gloom everywhere, and it makes this whole thing seem harder than it's ever been. But I think that it's not necessarily harder, it's just a little more uncertain. So how do we cope with that? When everything seems completely topsy-turvy in the world, um, for us, those moments have been the moments where they're completely pivotal. And if we focus on what we want to accomplish and we go all in, those are the moments that lead to our next great accomplishment. And so I think as we sit and look at this current situation, this is our opportunity as a community and as small business owners to take a step back, to look at what we really want to accomplish, and to go all in. Let's look at that dream, look at what it looks like, and do something remarkable in the world. So there's a quote from Albert Einstein that says, look deep into nature and you will understand everything better. And at least for Peter and I, we have always looked to nature for the answer to everything. And I think that the reason it is so powerful is when you're in the wild and you're facing adversity, the risk is real and it's raw and it's uncomfortable. And the answers that you get back are very obvious. And so, you know, if you make a bad decision in the wild, the repercussions can be severe and in your face and uncomfortable. And so what I want to do is take you into the wild right now on an adventure with me. And then we'll extrapolate some ideas of what we can learn from that. So let's head into Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Two years ago, I had my sights set on backpacking 70 miles on the Appalachian Trail across Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And I was so excited, and I went and I told Peter and Abby about it, and I was like, we're going to carry all of our stuff for seven days across the mountains. And they looked at me, and they're like, no, <laughs> that sounds horrible. We want to go kayaking. And, you know, I talked to them, and I kept saying, this is such a great idea. You guys should really be into this. And they're like, mm, I think we're going to go kayaking. And so I decided, well, if they're not going to go with me, I can either not go on this adventure or I can do it by myself. And uh, that was a little unsettling because in 25 years as being an adventurer, Peter had always been by my side. He is my partner in crime and we've pursued rock climbing and whitewater kayaking and all these fabulous adventures together. And not only was Peter not going to be by my side, but I was going to be totally by myself, something I had actually never done before. So setting out on this trip, it wasn't because I was super stoked to do it by myself. It was just I couldn't talk anybody else into going with me. And on the drive to the trailhead, Peter is dropping me off. And I probably asked him at least 100,000 times if he was sure that he didn't want to join me on this. Um, and I'm, I'm getting more and more nervous, even though I'm an experienced backpacker. I, all these questions are going through my mind. Am I going to be okay as a solo female hiker? Am I strong enough to carry everything by myself? I mean, we had always separated all the gear. Peter would carry the cook kit and I would carry the first aid kit. And so, and we would split the weight of the tent. And so now all of a sudden I had to carry all of this weight all by myself. Would I be strong enough? But my biggest question was, would I be lonely? Would this even be rewarding and amazing to do? As I got to the trail, 
and I waved goodbye to my family, my senses actually went into hyperdrive. Those first few steps on the trail, I swear it was the loudest forest I had ever stepped into. There was all this crashing through the underbrush around me, and there's rustling in the leaves, and you know, my brain is saying, okay, it's probably a squirrel, but my body is saying, oh my gosh, it's a bear or a T-Rex or something stomping through the woods coming to get me. And so um, my body and my brain are at war with each other. My body's dumping adrenaline and my brain is saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And so finally, I settle in and it's a seven mile hike up to my first camp. And I'm a little tired, I'm definitely nervous. And I step into the campsite, and it is a war zone. There is trash and debris everywhere. And my first thought is, bear. And where is it? And so I look around panicked, and I'm really nervous at this point. And I'm like, okay, it's probably okay. The bear is gone. There's no more food here. What do you need to do to be safe? So I pick up all the trash, I put it in the bear box, and I go about doing what I need to do in a camp that has been infested with bears. So I go far away from my camp to cook my food and eat my dinner. I store everything that smells appealing to a bear in a bear box. And then it's like five o'clock at night. And so this is the sign that I see in the middle of camp. It's this undisturbed piece of paper in all the debris that says bears are active in this area. Do not approach them. Attacks on humans have occurred inflicting serious injuries and death. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, what do you do? So I set up my camp and then it's five o'clock at night and I still have hours until it's time to go to bed. Now this is the perfect playground for my imagination to go nuts. So after dinner and properly storing all of my food, I crawl into my tent and that tiny little thin piece of fabric that is around me and shrouding me gives me this immense sense of comfort. I'm like, okay, I'm inside, so I'm fine. <laughs> and then it's like five o'clock at night and it's still daylight and I have hours and hours and hours until it's time to go to sleep. And then the noises start again. I'm trying to read, I'm trying to distract myself and all I hear is like through the underbrush. And I know it's probably a hickory nut, but it sure does sound like a bear. And then as I'm on alert, a twiggle snap and I bolt straight upright, panicked. I'm like, definitely a bear. And then whoo, whoo. The horror movie owl that always signifies an imminent strike. And this madness goes on for hours. And even when darkness comes, I'm still on high alert. It even gets amplified more. And my brain is going the whole time saying, you are not brave enough to do this alone. And then sleep comes. And I wake up the next morning, and I'm actually shocked that I'm alive. Like, (laughs) hallelujah, it is morning, and you've survived. And then my next thought is like, man, if this is what solo backpacking is like, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, this was the worst night I've ever spent in the wild. And so I pack up my camp, and this debate is raging in my head. I know you really, really wanted to backpack the Appalachian Trail for 70 miles, but this is horrible, and what are you doing? And there's a, like a 10-minute hike to get up to the main trail, 
And this whole time, my mind is going back and forth. Do you really want to do this? This is a really stupid idea. But you said you were going to do it, so maybe you should keep going back and forth, back and forth. And as I get to the main trail, it's decision time. I turn right, and I go back to the safety of my family. I'll call Peter, tell him to come pick me up, and I'm done. Or I turn left, and I go through with this adventure and continue on into the unknown. And it's decision time. So I turn left and head into the unknown against my better judgment. And at this point, I still don't have any idea if I'm up to the entire 70-mile journey, but I think I can do at least one more day. And there's hope on the horizon. For the rest of the trip, I'm camping in the shelters that punctuate the Appalachian Trail, and hopefully there will be other people that will keep me from being so afraid. And day two proves to be a much better day. It's not as steep, I'm not as tired, and the sounds are a little bit more familiar. I mean, after I survived the night before, everything seemed a little bit easier. And I get to the shelter on the, that night, and of course, nobody's there. I'm by myself again. So I go about cooking dinner, filtering water, getting ready for the night, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's this woman barging down the trail, and she has like transformer tights on, and she's got this pack on, and she's just like bounding around. I'm like, whoa, who is this woman coming out of the woods? And I talked to her, and she is also a solo female backpacker, and she has hiked 250 miles at this point. And I was like, awesome, tell me all about it. Am I going to live through this? And her enthusiasm and confidence are contagious, and she gets me so excited to keep going. So check, maybe I am brave enough. Day three comes, and it's actually one of the most notorious sections of the Appalachian Trail. It is so steep, and by steep, I mean the steps are thigh-high for miles. When I go up, my legs are shaking and weak, and when I go down, my knees are screaming for a break. And I go, and I go, and 10 miles have passed, and I just cannot take another step. I'm exhausted, and I collapse into a pile in the middle of the trail and cry. I'm like, Again, this is horrible. Why am I doing this? I am so tired. I cannot take another step. So I look around, and I'm like, gosh, is there a place that I can set up my tent nearby? I need to regroup and have a new plan. And all the while, my mind is saying, you are not strong enough to do this. And then my Garmin inReach beeps at me. And I don't know if it was divine intervention or if Peter had been watching me on the trail and saw that I was stopped in the middle of a bad place. But my Garmin beeps, and it's Peter, and he says, you are such a badass. I am so proud of you. And I was like, oh, I dry my tears off. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, get it together, Kathy. You might not be strong enough to make it all the way to the shelter, but it's three miles. You just need to get up and keep moving. So I get up, and I put one foot in front of the other, and those three miles take me four hours. And I stumble into the shelter just as the sun is setting. And my motivation and drive and hope of actually completing this are completely shot. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. So I message Peter. And I can't actually say to him that I'm ready for him to come pick me up. And so I have this great plan. I'm like, Peter, can you hike in tomorrow and meet me at Clingman's Dome and bring me some trekking poles because my knees are really bothering me? Oh, and I can get rid of some gear, and it'll just be great to see you, and it'll be fun for you guys too. 
And he writes back, of course, I'll see you tomorrow. The next morning, I wake up, and I feel like I've been hit by a train. Everything on my body hurts. Swallow a handful of ibuprofen, start walking down the trail, and after a few miles, my body starts to loosen up. And then my excitement to see Peter and Abby takes over. And I'm starting to move with purpose. And I'm like, yes, I can make it to Klingman's Dome, even though it's uphill. But the whole time, it's like, I don't think I really want to complete this mission. Uh, Isn't 40 miles enough? And so when I arrive at Klingman's Dome, Peter and Abby are there. And they are all smiles. And they are so excited and proud of me. And I'm not sure if I've ever been as happy to see them as I was in that moment. And I knew in the back of my mind that I was calling it quits and I was done. And then they go on and on about how proud they are of me and how I'm rocking it. And I'm just, you know, they're just so proud. And, and then I can't say out loud that I'm quitting. <laughs> and then before I know it, they've walked me back to the trail and they're like pushing me down the trail, waving goodbye. And I'm like, I didn't even tell them, wait, wait, I want to go back with you. And then I find myself walking on the trail, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm doing this because I can't call them back and say, come meet me again. That was my chance, and I didn't have the heart to tell them that I was done. So as I turned to continue on the trail, tears spilled down my face once again, and I carried on. But at that moment, something flipped inside my head, and I was ready to finally say, I am doing this. I'm ready to fully commit. I'm ready to go all in. And in that moment, everything on the trail changed. I was brave enough. I was strong enough. And I was ready to finish it. And then over the course of the next few days, I found myself bounding down the trail, charging up the hills, leaping down rocks. And It was amazing. I was enjoying the sights and the smells and the sounds that had scared me just a few days before. In fact, I heard a a twig snap beside me, and I paused to see what it is, and I look over, and it's a flock of turkeys pacing right along beside me. And so all of a sudden, there's wonder and excitement and adventure in this entire experience. And I found exactly what I was looking for, a deep connection to this wonderful, amazing place. And then my Garmin beeps again. And this time it's my mom, who thinks I'm crazy for doing this. And she says, Kathy, there's a hurricane, and it's headed your way, and you need to find shelter immediately. You've got about 15 minutes. And I'm like, a hurricane in the mountains? Of all the adventures I have experienced in the mountains, a hurricane was never on my radar. But sure enough, I look up, and there's the leading edge of the storm barreling right towards me. And this place that I've loved and been so comfortable in over the last few days is once again ominous and threatening. And the rain hits, and it is like a fire hose pounding me. And the trail becomes a stream, and then it becomes a river, and I'm wading up to my calves. And the trees above me are swaying wildly and crashing down in the distance. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like really dangerous. I've got to get to the shelter. So I'm kind of lumbering down the trail with my backpack on, going as quickly as I can, trying not to trip over roots that I can't see under the water in the trail. 
and I get to the shelter and I'm like, oh, I've made it safety at last. And of course, there's a note from the park service that says, evacuation recommended, please get to the nearest trailhead. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm 16 miles from the finish of this adventure. I am so close. I can almost see it. And now there's a hurricane. And so I look at my map and I try to evaluate the best course of action. And there are essentially two options. There is a trail that shoots straight down the mountain. It's five miles to the trailhead and Peter can come pick me up there. Or there's the 16 miles to the finish of what I set out to accomplish. Um, And in in all honesty, both options were really risky at that moment. There's trees crashing down, there's flooding happening. And so even though the prudent decision is to abort, I didn't feel like it was even safe to abort. So I decided to sit tight in the shelter, wait, and see what happens. And the next morning, I get a message on my Garmin. It's well before dawn, early, early, and it's Peter. And he says, you have a break, go. I was like, oh my gosh, which way do I go? And he says, it'll probably be a couple hours, get as far as you can. And I'm like, a couple of hours, That's, that'll get me a long ways. Maybe I can just charge towards the finish. And so I decide to go ahead and go for the finish, the 16 miles. I want it so badly. And so I'm actually running down the trail with this 50-pound backpack on my back, and I'm committed to doing this. And I cover 12 miles before 10 in the morning. And the storm is breaking. I can see blue sky and the end of sight. And here's a quick clip of those thoughts that were going through my mind in that moment. It's my last day, day seven. I survived a hurricane last night. It was pretty exciting with heavy winds, heavy rains. Um, Everything I have is soaked except my sleeping bag and sleeping pad. So um, I'm hiking out 16 miles today and the storm is breaking and it is so beautiful my favorite thing so far. Check it out. And I realized then that I am actually going to finish what I set out to do. And the storm had cleared and I realized that I wasn't quite ready for this whole thing to be over. Like, I wanted to revel in this moment and really appreciate all that I had accomplished over those miles. I'd settled into such a beautiful rhythm in this place, and I just wanted it to linger a little bit longer. I'd become a part of that place. So I'm walking, and I'm looking around, and I'm taking it all in, and I hear another strange noise. And I look up, and it's Peter and Abby. They're standing in the trail, and they walk the last mile by my side. And it was the perfect finish to my adventure. And that whole thing changed everything for me. Accomplishing that and doing it by myself, it, was, it, it gave me a whole new focus in what I wanted to pursue as an adventurer, as a businesswoman, all of it. And I started out not brave enough, not strong enough, and unsure if I really wanted it badly enough. But once I committed to it, once I decided to go all in, I found out that I was more than enough. And that was all it took to get through all of those obstacles. 
So I want to go back to this quote by Albert Einstein, look deep into nature and you will understand everything better. And what this teaches us is the power of going all in and what you can accomplish, things beyond your wildest imaginations, things that you aren't strong enough for now, you can accomplish when you commit. And so let's talk about danger and fear and are you brave enough to take on what you have in front of you. Right now, we are facing a lot of uncertainty. And I think it's important to delineate scary situations versus dangerous situations. They seem the same, just like the beginning when I set, down, set out down the trail and I heard all those noises in the woods. And even when I got to the camp with the bear and there was this warning, you know, I've been around bears. I know how they behave and I know that I'm not in their food chain. Something really weird is going to have to happen for them to attack me. So while they're scary in most instances and in the circumstance that I was in, they usually aren't very dangerous. But as I fast forward a few days to the hurricane that I was facing, that was a real danger of being hit by a tree or fording a a flooded stream that could whisk me away. And so as we're barraged right now with doom and gloom and all these things and all these uncertainties, we have to look at what we are trying to accomplish as small business owners and delineate what's scary and what our imagination is running away with and what's actually dangerous. And that's something that we all have to weigh in. You know, as content creators right now, funds might be frozen and businesses might be struggling. That might be a real danger or it might not be. That might be, it just depends how this all plays out. If I'm a traveling nurse or a doctor, right now I have more job security than any other profession that's out there. And so you have to really weigh what circumstance you're in, settle down your imagination, and decide, separate fear from danger. And as we think about it as RVers, as I talk to people here that are living on the road, we have some other uncertainties. We're hearing about parks that are closing down. We're hearing about campgrounds that are closing down. What are we going to do? How can we make ourselves knowledgeable? How can we keep ourselves safe through this time? It's unknown. Things are different than they were a week ago. We just have to be informed and we have to make safe, prudent decisions right now. So sometimes, just like on the AT, it's better to just shelter in place. Stay where you are, assess the situation, and regroup and replan and keep moving forward. So the second thing to think about is how all of this is going to impact the economy and our livelihood. So safety first, then our livelihoods next, and then we can pursue our adventures or other things that we want to pursue as well. So for right now, everyone that we're talking to here, and Peter and I ourselves, are in kind of wait and see what happens. Let's shelter, let's hunker down, let's see what's going on. And then 
looking back to some of the lessons that we've learned from our business, we started our business right before 9-11, and things were really scary, and everything stopped, essentially. We were three months into our business. We started a, a portrait business to begin with, and after that, nobody wanted portraits. Not a single person called for months and fortunately, we hadn't gone all into our business at that point. We still had other jobs to support us. I was a teacher, and school was still in session, and so I still had a paycheck. And so drawing on that experience, if I were in that position today, I would say, wait. Don't make any drastic changes right now. Those of us that are already in this situation where we have our own businesses, I draw on a different experience. Um, in 2007, we made a huge investment in a home photography studio, and we had the whole front of our house was designed for clients to come in and view and purchase images, and um, it was a big leap of faith that we took in 2007. And then in 2008, the recession started. And at that time, we were this really high-end wedding studio and we were averaging like $15,000 a wedding which was fantastic and we were booming and then 2009 came and there was not a single person that would book a $15,000 wedding and so we had to completely change our strategies at this point we were fully into our business it was our entire source of income and all of a sudden again no one is wanting to book with us and so we had to totally change strategies. And what we did is we dropped our prices to a point that was competitive with other photographers in our area. And then we gave our clients an opportunity to slowly invest in us over time. And by doing that, we eliminated the barrier to entry for our clients. They were still able to start working with us at a lower price point. And then we were able to still maintain our sales average by giving them opportunities to invest throughout the process. So I suspect that this is going to be a time that's more like that time, where people are still willing to invest through this first process, but it may just be a little bit differently than how it was even just a few weeks ago. Time will tell how this all plays out, but those are some strategies to think about. Um, What's always worked in our business is to assess the conditions, talk to people, listen to their concerns, and then address those in a way that works for everybody. We couldn't just lower our prices in our business and say, okay, we're going to do weddings for a third as much as what we used to do um, in past years. We just had to give people another option to work with us. So... And then that brings us to the third piece of information that I think is relevant in our businesses over the years. We spent a year planning the launch of our business when we moved into an RV. And over the course of that year, we tested systems to make sure that they would work remotely. Um, we built up a substantial savings account and we waited until the economy was good. And we had a year of weddings on the books. So we had a year of work, we had a savings account, it was a good economy, and it was a great time to take a risk. So those of you that are out there on the precipice of making this leap to going full-time, I would say sit tight. Let's see what happens.
don't make any drastic changes right now. And in the meantime, while I say sit tight, let's talk about are you skilled enough for what you're trying to pursue as we sit and wait, now is the perfect time, and you guys are doing exactly the right thing right now, being here at RV Entrepreneur. Let's get those skills in place. What unique skills do you bring to the table? What are you exceptional at? I think that um, this is the data from a survey that Heath and Alyssa sent out whenever you guys enrolled in RV Entrepreneur. And I think anytime we can get any information about what's going on in the world around us, it's a good opportunity to learn about what our next steps might be. And so this is the data that you all provided as the type of business that you're either in or that you're interested in starting. And as I look at all the different bars across the data chart, the one that is striking to me is... Um, and much taller than the rest of the interest level is that of content creation. And so what this tells me is that um, this is a passion of people here and an interest. And what this information should tell you is that there are a lot of people out there competing for the same resources. And so if this is your area of interest, you need to really thoughtfully ask yourself, what are you an expert at in this area? Is it writing? Is it photography? Is it creating videos? Do you have a remarkable story that's different from the thousands of stories that are out there already? So looking at this type of data, you can assess if this is a real danger or just something that is scary. But I think it's important to keep these things in mind. And in uncertain times, proceed with caution. So if you don't have good answers to all those questions or you don't have an obvious path, now is the time to hit the books. It's time to hit the internet. Grow your skill set. Um, right now, discretionary funds are frozen in businesses waiting to see how this all plays out. So if you're planning to hit a company up right now for something, the answer is most definitively no. Um, wait and see what's going on ahead of you and choose your timing to be applicable to what's going on around us. And then, as my mom always says, this too shall pass. Use this as an opportunity to get ready to spring whenever it does. The last thing that I learned from the AT is, are you strong enough? Are you carrying too much? Do you have debt? Do you have anchors that are tying you down? Do you have an experience that's weighing against you? And are you on the path of least resistance? Are you looking at a mountain planning to charge straight up that hill? Or are you looking for switchbacks to go around, you, to go around the hardest part? And I think the perfect example of um, thinking through this is with our daughter Abby this summer. She qualified to be one of three young women to represent the United States in the World Championships for Freestyle Kayaking. And she worked so hard to be able to make the team and then even harder to be able to compete in this event. And we get to Spain where the competition is and we walk down to the arena 
and the eddy where she's going to compete, the part of the river, is filled with professionals. There are Red Bull athletes and world champions and all these powerful, amazing people that she's looked up to her whole entire life. And she kind of looks and she's like, whoa, takes a deep breath and walks down there and gets in her kayak and kind of nervously does her warm-up. And she gets in there and it's her turn to go in and show all these amazing athletes what she's got. And she paddles up, she sets up for her best trick and falls on her face. And as a mom, I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And I'm ready to swoop in and give her a big hug and say, it's okay, honey, you don't have to do this. It's, you'll be fine. And just shoo her away from the, the terror. But it was really my terror. Abby, on the other hand, goes right up into the lineup again, gets ready to paddle in again amongst all these elite athletes and falls on her face again. And she does it again. And the next time she sticks the trick and you can just see her exuberance permeating out from her. And as I watched all of those elite athletes accomplishing remarkable things, what I see is that they are willing to go in there and fall on their face in front of everyone again and again and again until they get it right. And so as you think about whether you're strong enough to pull off whatever this big dream it is that you have in front of you, know that it's okay. You're going to fail. You're probably going to fail a lot. And the difference that separates the people that succeed and fail is just your willingness to fall down and get back up. So I want to leave you with this. The story that we tell ourselves becomes our truth. Our wildest dreams are not only possible, but incredibly worthwhile. And when you charge ahead and go all in, There's no other possible outcome than success. Most of what stops us is all in our head anyway. We may not be brave enough, skilled enough, strong enough, or want it badly enough yet, but each day that we press on brings us that much closer to that really big dream, and eventually that in itself will be enough. So when the world tells you, dude, get real, it's your responsibility to pursue that really big dream and say, no, I'm not going to get real. Because as RV entrepreneurs, we are the experts right now. The world is going virtual right now. And all along, we've homeschooled our kids. We've run our businesses remotely. We are the ones that can lead the entire world right now. We just need to bring our expertise and our passions to the table and charge. So use your power, share your gifts, and go all in. Kathy, if you're re-listening to your talk right now, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and your words of wisdom on the RV Entrepreneur podcast and also the summit. And if you enjoyed this talk from Kathy, I would encourage you to reach out to her on Instagram. You can find them at famagogo on Instagram and just shoot her a message and just say, hey, I listen to your podcast on RV Entrepreneur and I loved it. That's probably one of my favorite things that anybody listening can go do because it takes time to share a talk, share a story, come on this podcast. And whenever I hear of you guys reaching out to the people who are on the show, that means the world to me because they know that people are listening and that their time was meaningful. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope wherever you are, you're having an amazing day. And I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. Podcast.